Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And today, I think I'm Annie Warmke. I think you are too. And, and today, we're going to talk about some existing farm programs, or my second title is, believe it or not, there's actually money out there designed to help you operate your farm properly or responsibly. So... We'll find out. So anyway, we're joined today by uh, Lori Ryan Griffin, who is the district conservationist. I almost said conserv- <laughs> conservation. <laughs> I can't even say it anyway. Conversationist. Con- conversationalist. She is a conversationist. All right. Anyway, with NRCS, and NRCS stands for the National Resource Conservation Service. And before we get you to talk there, Lori, I'll say that according to your website, The mission of your organization is helping people help the land, which sounds pretty nice. And it says that you guys provide products, services that enable people to be good stewards of the nation's soil, water, related national resources on non-federal land. So, Lori, welcome. And do you you recite that mission every day as you walk through the doors to your hallowed office? Well, good morning, and I will say you stole my punchline because helping people help the land is our mission statement, and that's exactly what we try to do. So, so I guess we do. You're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the Girl Scout pledge. Well, I, you know, having been uh, knowing you for quite a few years now and working together, I do really, I have come to really understand that NRCS does exactly what their mission is, and. Um, if we're lucky enough to get in the on the list and in the ranks and participate, it's a it's a really great way to make improvements on your farm and um, and and also learn more about how to be better as a conservationist and not just somebody who, you know, plows the land and that's the end of it. So I I appreciate NRCS and especially having such a nice person be our district conversationalist. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's going to happen every time now. Well, I, I know that's your title because you're, you're, you're talking on the phone with Annie quite a lot. So I assume that is actually your title. I do most of the talking. She just does the great laughing. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so Lori, uh, since we've got you here, tell us, um, you know, how did you get involved in this organization? I mean, did you grow up saying, I want to be the district conservationist for the NRCS or... or How did you find yourself weaving through the path to end up in your current position? Well, um, when I was in college, I actually had always wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved animals, but I also equally love the outdoors and nature, and I also like to help people uh, all in my life. So when I got to college, uh, after going through several organic chemistry classes, I decided maybe being a veterinarian wasn't my calling my chosen profession, and I decided to focus more on my interest in the outdoors and the natural resources, and I studied uh, wildlife management with a broad natural resource background. Then, um, when I graduated, um, I had learned about the Peace Corps and decided that I would like to have an opportunity to go live in another culture and try and help people with some of the knowledge and skills that I had acquired, you know, through my education. And I actually went to the Central African Republic uh, as an Inland Fisheries Peace Corps volunteer. And I taught uh, African villagers how to build modern fish ponds so that they could raise food 
fish for food and profit. And what that was just an incredible experience. I got to work one-on-one -on -one with just the most wonderful people in the world. And um, I know when I went over there, I thought, gosh, these people are half a world away from me. Will we have anything in common? And then when I flew home two and a half years later, I thought any one of them could have been my mother, father, sister, or brother. We all have so much more in common than we are different. And I had enjoyed that experience so much, working one-on-one -on -one with people like that, that when I came back home, um, I had learned during college about the Soil Conservation Service, which was the original name for our agency. And I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, apply there and see if they would have any similar type positions, you know, working one-on-one -on -one with farmers. And they did, and I applied and was hired, and that was the beginning of my career. So it was uh, kind of a, an adventure that led me to this point, but it's been a great career, and I enjoy what I do. I enjoy helping people and trying to help them find solutions to the problems they're facing. And, um, you know, they always say you have to be 30 miles from home to be an expert. So I, I won't claim that I have all the solutions for problems, but uh, if I don't know the solution, then I have other people within my agency that specialize in engineering or specialize in agronomy or, you know, whatever. And I can tap into all of that to, you know, get their assistance to help us help people solve their problems. So it's, it's a great agency, all part of the United States Department of Agriculture. Well, one thing that uh, occurred to me when you were talking is um, that, you know, you have a lot of programs. And I know you just sent me a, a really nice flyer about all those different programs. And so I'm just wondering, what do you think is the number one program that you feel people need, that farmers need, that you provide? So really, there, um, what, one of the main things we do and we have always done is we provide conservation technical assistance. And that, you know, involves someone calls in a farmer, a landowner, an operator of a farm, uh, you know, or sometimes it's even homeowners. Um, people call in with problems and, you know, we will make visits to the farm and uh, go out and take a look at it, you know, uh, just with our own eyes to see what's going on, to determine what are the issues they're facing and what are things that maybe are going on in the background they haven't figured out or contributing to this particular problem. And then we help them uh, come up with solutions to the problem. We'll come up with different alternatives, you know, um, to propose to them to help solve the problem. Then we work with them to reach a decision, you know, what's the most feasible economical solution to their natural resource problems. And that is all just part of what we call conservation technical assistance, that one-on-one, -on, -one, on the farm, on the land assistance and visits that we provide. And then if, if we have programs, um, you know, some of the federal USDA agricultural programs that would help provide some financial assistance to help them solve those problems, then I try to make 
you know, the landowner, land user aware of those programs so that they could, you know, try to apply to get that financial assistance. Um, one program that we commonly work with is the Environmental Quality Assistance Program. Uh, and it is, or I'm sorry, Environmental Quality Incentive Program. I'll correct myself there. Um, and basically what it is, is it provides financial incentive payments to help solve problems. Uh, you know, whether the problem could be, you know, pasture management, uh, you know, maybe someone needs to develop water for their livestock, they need to develop a spring or pipe water from an existing pipeline to another location to set a trough. Maybe they need to install fencing you know, within a pasture so they can subdivide it and get better grazing management within the pasture. Uh, you know, maybe it's woodlands. Maybe they have no clue what they own in their woodlands, what kind of trees are there. They need to have an education about that. We can work with them to uh, develop a forestry management plan so they know exactly what they have and what the problems are that should be addressed to, you know, promote the long-term sustainability and, uh, you know, improve the productivity of the forest. It could be cropland we work on, you know, maybe they need to go from raising continuous corn to some type of a rotation that maybe has small grains and hay in it so they can, you know, better protect the soil resource. Or maybe they need to switch from doing an intensive type of tillage to no-till. Um, you know, we, we work with all different land uses, cropland, pasture land, forest land, wildlife land, you know, to look and see what's going on and see what recommendations we can make to improve the long-term sustainability, you know, of those different uh, land uses and resources. Well, well Lori, I'm, I'm kind of curious because I want to go back to Africa here because, oh, okay. uh, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering, since you've got the unique perspective of dealing with people who are doing agriculture, both in, in Central Africa and also here in, in Appalachia, what, what are, what's the big difference that you ran into that people were facing and, and what are the similarities? Because I suspect there are quite a lot. So I think um, the biggest difference... Uh, in Africa, we had so little to work with. Um, the country I was in was one of the 10 most impoverished countries in, in the world. Um, so we had so little to work with. We always tried to use appropriate technology. Um, you know, when we were digging fish ponds, we didn't have bulldozers over there. We had women that would carry basins of soil on their head from one end of the pond to the other to build the dam. We had shovels, and we would have Sunday school classes out there helping to dig the fish ponds, you know, or the neighbors coming with shovels helping to dig the fish ponds. Um, after I had this position, I often thought, man, what it, what it took us four months to do in Africa, we could have done with in half a day if we just had a dozer, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so we tried to use appropriate technology so that it would be sustainable you know, after I was gone, they didn't depend on the equipment I had. Um, you know, they could do it with their own technology available. Um, but in many ways, that's the same way, you know, we try to work with the Natural Resources Conservation Service. You know, we're trying to keep it as appropriate, you know, to each farm as we can, you know. 
we're not going to recommend something way off the wall if it's not feasible or someone can't afford it or uh, you know can't get the right equipment in to do it we still try to keep that you know just make it appropriate for what the situation is so in some ways we're a world apart but we still use I still kind of use the same approach you know I would love for people to show up with shovels and dig a ditch. That would be great. Uh, as long as it's not me. I, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll sit in the bulldozer and watch. Yeah, you know? that is you. But, you know, we, we'd have to provide beer or something, which we <laughs> wouldn't do. So. And maybe something else. Who knows? But um, I just wonder if you would go, I think you did list a few, but what are the major categories of programs and if you could list those and then we'll be at the break and then I want to talk about um, you make it sound so easy to get into the programs and I want to talk about how that works but if you can just real quickly let us know what are the highlights of the, you know major categories okay so we have the environmental quality incentive program and that program is designed to solve existing natural resource problems on the farm and there are payments, uh, you know, for specific practices by unit. Like if we have to build fence, payments per running foot of fence, depending on the type, you know, fence you're installing. Um, so that is where we primarily kind of steer people toward to get those initial problems solved. Uh, once someone has really solved most of their natural resource problems, uh, I recommend to them they consider the conservation stewardship program because that program uh, it's a five-year contract but uh, the person would receive one payment you know per year for five years and in that program we're encouraging people to kind of tweak their management in whatever natural resource area they want to. They've solved the basic problems, now we're trying to just tweak the management and fine-tune their management somehow. Uh, another program that uh, we offer is the uh, Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, and that's a really long-term thing. Uh, that is either to basically to preserve agricultural land so that it won't be gobbled up by development uh, of some type. Uh, it focuses on areas where, you know, development is kind of encroaching little by little or farms are being sold off into five-acre lots. But a landowner can put their land in that program. But it's, that is a perpetual easement until the end of the world. So that's a pretty serious commitment there. Oh, okay, well, Lori, um, I'm going to interrupt you here just a second to remind everybody that they're listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We, want to do, uh, we do want to remind you that it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. So apparently the end of the world for that program, Lori, is, is uh, coming up soon here. So anyway, so I interrupted you uh, as you were listening about all of these programs that you guys have where you're wanting to give farmers money. So if you're a farmer out there, um, we're going to give you Lori's phone number. No, we're not. But, no, uh, it's not about giving money. I mean, if you want to have a fence, uh, if you need fence for pasture rotation, or to expand your pastures, you know, you, you're going to have a big investment in that yourself. They're only going to pay a portion sure. of it, but also you've got to work the program, you know, you got to find the person that's going to do the best job and, 
and one of Lori's jobs is to go out there and measure and look at every single thing, and she is thorough. Look at soil samples and make sure that I dug a ditch properly, and uh, you with know, only one beer. <laughs> <with> only, <laughs> uh, little does she know how many beers were consumed in the digging of that ditch. Yeah, but, but not yeah. by me. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. That's well, right. I, you know, I think it's it. It, it is fascinating to think about, um, you know, how we can accomplish things here. And um, I'm, I, I know there's one more program that you didn't mention, and that's the forestry management program, which is something that, uh, you know, we're super interested in. And maybe you could just say something uh, about that project program. Sure. So, so, you know, forestry is one of the land uses that we're, you know, trying to promote the sustainable management of forests. So, as I said, if someone doesn't know what they have, uh, they can apply through the Environmental Quality Incentive Program to have a forestry management plan written that will, you know, detail the kind of trees they have in the woods and what the problems are and what the recommendations are to, you know, improve the woods, maybe control invasive species or whatever. They can get that forestry management plan written and then once that plan's written they can come back and reapply for the environmental quality incentive program a second time but this time they'd be applying to try and get funding to help them you know do the practices that were recommended in the management plan with, with our agency we always like to have a conservation plan to start with you know, know where we're starting, where we're trying to get to in five or ten years, and what are the steps we need to take to help someone get there. And that's our conservation plan. And then we take that plan and try and fit it into these different uh, programs, you know, um, through the EQIP program or conservation stewardship program or the, you know, ag conservation easement program. Those, but we always start with the plan. Where are we starting? Where are we trying to get to? And then what can we do to reach the goal there? Well, one thing that I noticed, and as somebody whose apparently only skill is digging ditches, um, when, <laughs> when we started getting involved with you about the forestry thing, I was pretty amazed just just what's involved. You know, a forest to me looks like a forest, but but there were so many of these uh, you had mentioned invasive species, and, mm -hmm. and I don't remember the proper name for it, but aren't they the, like those stink trees that seem to... Tree of Heaven. Tree of yeah, Heaven. Or, yeah, Tree of Heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's its proper name? Do you know the... the uh, Atlantis. Yeah, the Atlantis. And, and those right. things are just so invasive and 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 so hard to get rid of. And I'm, I, I don't know, do you consider all of those silly grapevines that I have to keep hacking out of our <laughs> woods to be an invasive, or are they, are they considered part of the natural ambiance, sort of like dreadlocks for the woods or something? <laughs> never thought of it like that. But they, 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 that's an I never look at a grapevine the same anymore. <laughs> but but they, they are invasive. But So what the foresters will tell you is, you don't have to remove every grapevine from your woods because they do provide food for wildlife mm -hmm. and habitat for wildlife, but you don't want them growing in your most valuable trees because once the grapevines, you know, grow up over the top of it, they will kill the tree and they break the branches. 
So you at least try to control them and keep them out of the more valuable species and just let them grow up in some of the junkier trees in the woods to provide sure, the wildlife habitat. And the health of the forest is increasingly important. I know we get a lot in the, in the world of global warming and carbon capture where we're trying to not only expand the forests, but, but make sure that they're, they're healthy and, and absorbing lots of that carbon dioxide um, and converting it into, into wood fiber. And I guess that's, there's a whole science and art to making that happen properly. Mm -hmm. Well, that's right. my next question before we answer how you get in the programs is, uh, what, what is the focus as far as NRCS with climate adaptation? Because that's where we are now. You know, we're not going to mitigate the circumstances. We're not going to change what's coming. But how do, we, how do we adapt, and particularly with the forest, um, what, what, what's the role in NRCS with that or your position? Maybe, maybe I'm talking and that's not the position. So, so the United States Department of Agriculture and my agency, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, we are continually doing research, you know, as new problems kind of arise, whether it's the invasive species, you know, we have more invasive species now than we ever did, and we're always trying to figure out how to keep them at bay so that they don't take over and outcompete all the native plants. Um, but we're continually doing research, you know, at the national level, regional levels, and um, always trying to come up with, you know, different programs or tactics of approach to solve some of those problems. So, like, you know, right now, the United States Department of Agriculture and my agency, you know, we're trying to promote what we call climate smart agriculture, trying to get those perennial trees or perennial plants planted, you know, that will be, uh, you know, good carbon sinks to pull carbon out of the air and just keep it locked in plants and in the soil, trying to, you know, promoting programs and practices that increase the organic matter in the soil, using cover crops, um, really, and then like agroforestry, I know, Annie, you are big on agroforestry and silviforestry and you know, that's something else that's being researched now is what can we do to, you know, promote, you know, just maintaining our existing forest. How can we encourage people to do that? And, you know, what other practices can we promote that will, you know, do the same thing? Um, we're also working with like, you know, work with livestock managers trying to promote better management of manure, you know, control of manure and big livestock operations, promote the sustainable spreading of the manure so it's used as a fertilizer but doesn't become a pollution problem when spread the right way at the right time at the right rate. Um, you know, those are all programs that, you know, we work with one-on-one -on -one with landowners and there's the research is being done at the national level. So soil health is another thing, you know, that the more we learn about it, the more we realize we have to learn. When I started, we pretty much planted cover crops just for winter erosion yeah. control. Yeah. Now we realize what those cover crops do. There's a whole world under our feet in the soil, and those cover crops, you know, sustain that, that world of microbes and everything under our feet. So there's a lot of research being go going on right now about all these topics and uh -huh. 
you know. Well, let me, let me just jump in and say one thing because I really want you to have a minute to talk about how you get into the programs is that if people aren't in uh, an NRCS program but they want to uh, deal with climate adaptation and create a plan for themselves for their property, um, mm -hmm. they can get in touch with the NAICS, which is a division of the US Department, USDA Department of Forestry and they have a wonderful workbook and people that can help you come up with a climate adaptation plan for your property or your forest um, and I really want to encourage people to access that but in the meantime I'd love for you to talk about how it is not that easy to get into the programs and what's involved to be uh, to, to be connected to NRCS in a more formal way and get in, get an equipped grant for something. Okay, so uh, what I will say for people that aren't used to working with our agency, they're first of all to get in touch with us. You can either contact uh, a soil conservationist or district conservationist like myself at your local USDA service center. You can go online and type in USDA service center and then you can find one for you know your county whatever state you're in. So you would could come contact someone, call someone, have a phone call with someone like myself or you can go to farmers.gov uh, if you want to do a search on the web and find information there or like here in Ohio, you could do a search for ohio.nrcs.usda.gov. So you can do it, you know, online or make a personal phone call or, um, you know, and then arrange a, a visit with someone like myself or a phone call. So, so once we've talked and we figure out, you know, what made our farm visit, we figure out what the needs are then if you want to apply for one of these programs, you have to establish farm records at our sister agency, the Farm Service Agency, who's also part of the USDA. Basically that is you just provide your name, your contact information, help them locate where your property is that you either own or that you are operating, um, and then they will create these farm records. Um, and then that gives us something in our computer system to pin an application to or to pin a conservation plan to, to tie it all together. Um, and then we've made our farm visit, so we'd say, okay, Annie, if you want to get an equip, you know, here are the practices, you know, that we've discussed that you think you're, you're willing to install. You know, we could give you an estimate of what the environmental quality incentive program would pay that particular year that you're applying. The, the environmental quality incentive program never pays 100%. Uh, it's designed to have the landowner or land user also, you know, make a portion of the payment. We invest with the landowner into these, into these practices. Um, so we would give you the estimate of what the payment would be. And then it's a competitive process, so just because someone applies, there's no guarantee that they will be selected for funding. Uh, here in Ohio, Ohio NRCS receives so much, so many millions of dollars per year for the Environmental Quality Incentive Program. And then they kind of subdivide it into different funding pools. Maybe there's a funding pool for pasture funding pool for forestry, a funding pool for livestock operations, and 
they divide the money like that. And then depending on which category you're applying for, we go through and we answer assessment questions about your application. Okay, well, Lori, Lori, I'm going to have to cut you off there because we're sadly out of time here. I told you it was going to go fast, and it, and it did go fast. So anyway, um, I, I do encourage everybody to get in touch with their local NRCS, and they're all just as nice as Lori. Um, so we want to thank Lori Ryan Griffin for joining us here today. And I want to remind you, you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank Lori again. We want to thank our Emmy Award-winning producer, Adam Rich. And we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and eat your vegetables, Jay. You don't need a grant for that. All right, till next time, bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com.